0: Good morning, everybody. Hope that's not too loud. I bring greetings from Hillview. You know that's where I've come from. And for those of you who don't know me, what I would call the fortunate ones. My name's Phil Gent, and I'm a member of Hillview. And amongst other things that I'm responsible for, uh, and I try and do this every time I speak, wherever I speak, but how much more appropriate in this fellowship. I'd just like to give a brief spotlight about Gloucester City Mission. Mike's present, so he'll kill me if I don't. Um, There's a lot of exciting things going on within Gloucester City Mission, and I first of all want to thank you as a fellowship for the support that you continue to give Mike and the team and Beryl. I also want to thank the individuals who support us, not just financially, but in prayer and legal help occasionally. It's a great teamwork and we really do appreciate what you do. But just to bring you up to date with one or two things that are happening, um, Mike doesn't necessarily have the opportunity to do what I'm doing now, so if you'll allow me. Um, on a Wednesday, the, 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 pla- the pattern is week by week, we meet at Park Street Mission, which is in town just around the corner from Sainsbury's by the car park there. And Park Street Mission have been extremely kind to us, and they allow us to use that venue as a base. We meet there first thing for prayer. The team do, that is. Um, And uh, there is an invitation for people on the street to come in off the street and spend time there, uh, listening to a thought for the day and an opportunity to have their concerns aired and welfare and so on help that is given. Uh, and, And it's become a very, very important part of what we're doing in the trying to bring people from the street into established churches like this isn't necessarily a step that they can take at the stage they're at. But one of the concerns I want to raise is simply this, that venue, that hospitality at a very modest rental is now a little bit in jeopardy. Park Street Mission, one of the elderly trustees there has recently died, the treasurer. And it does bring into focus a little bit of the pressure that they're under at Park Street, and they are concerned about the future. And if their future is a concern, ours with them is a concern. And it's just, I would ask you to pray for Park Street, because without that venue, we're not able to do what we do. Uh, And it would be greatly appreciated. Can I just say on a Wednesday morning, if you're able to, Um, generally there is one person left praying, sometimes with somebody else, but generally there is one faithful person praying back at base when everybody else goes out on the street, and that's Penny. Um, Penny would love to know that others were praying with her, um, not necessarily in the same room even, but she does have a mobile phone, and you can ring her, you can text her, I assume you can text Penny, You can text her just to bring your support at that moment in time, 9.30, 10 o'clock for the rest of the morning on a Wednesday. Anything like that would be greatly appreciated. That's enough of the focus of Gloucester City Mission. So thank you again for the support that you give. So we're looking at chapter 4, verse 23. Darren very kindly just brought the reading for us. But before we can do that, we really need to pick up where we're at on this story. Because in isolation, the story doesn't necessarily make total sense. Uh, And during this holiday time, I'm very mindful of the fact that people may have been away. So let's just quickly whistle through where we're at up until this moment in time, can I? In chapter 3, we read that Peter with John have healed the crippled beggar by the temple gate. And in verse 11, we know this caused a great commotion as all the people were astonished and came running to them. So there was some sort of a spectacle had gone on in the witnessing of what had happened. And in verse 19, they were found preaching repentance. So these guys, the two of them, were beginning to raise their profile. They were beginning to become minor celebrities in the community they were in such that in chapter 4 verse 2 we read the authorities were increasingly concerned about what Peter and John were saying and doing so picture that if you will because what happens next is they seized them that is the authorities and because it was late in the day and not knowing quite what to do they put them in jail what are we gonna do with these guys at least if they're shut up in there for the night they're not gonna be able to continue talking And so they put them in jail. Then the next day, Peter and John were brought before the authorities. The authorities then were known as the Sanhedrin. And in verse 7, Peter and John were asked, this is chapter 4, by what power or by what name do you do this? Now this was really causing them a problem. Why? Well, it's worth reminding ourselves who the people in the Sanhedrin were. Remember, these were the authority of the time. They had all authority apart from capital punishment. So these guys were powerful. Who were they? Peter and John had been dragged before them and they'd been made to give account of what on earth are you doing. What was the makeup of the Sanhedrin? And it helps, I think, to understand who they were. They were the acting high priests, their families, the elders, the scribes, in other words, the religious authorities of the time. And is it any wonder, therefore, that these guys felt somewhat threatened by what Peter and John were, let's say, up to? So you can recognize that the established organization of the church at that time was saying, what's going on? We're being undermined. We've got competition. What is this that's happening in our very midst? And then in verse 8, we read Peter. And let's remind ourselves, this is that same Peter. This is the Peter who on one occasion, in fact more than one occasion, denied that he even knew our Lord. This is the same Peter who showed all the weaknesses that I have to say I find encouraging. This is the same guy who's acting with boldness in this passage that we read. Filled with the Holy Spirit, when put on the spot, he, as it were, gave them both barrels. For we read in verse 8, sorry, in, 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 in verse 12, we read this. Salvation is found in no one else. You can imagine him standing there with all the authority. This is my moment. I'm going to go for this because if they are going to lock me up again, I'm going to be silent for a while. So I'm going to do it. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Straight down the middle. No doubt, no ambiguity, no misunderstanding. This is it. There is no other name. Well, you can imagine these guys in the makeup of the religious authorities. What on earth do we do with these guys? (laughs) Why won't they just shut up and go away? And you can sort of sense the heat of the moment and the difficulties. And so in verse 18, they were told to cease speaking and preaching. Go on, on your way. And then in verse 20, Peter said, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You cannot stop us. And then in verses 21 and 22, we read, let's just have a look at those preceding verses, shall we? 21 and 22. Uh, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, sorry, beg your pardon, wrong chapter, 21, 22, chapter 4. Beg your pardon, And further threats they let them, and after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. So these guys in the authority were all of a sudden completely on their own, because all the people had joined with Peter and John, so you can imagine something special was going on. It's an interesting point that's made right at the end of verse 22. Do you know when I was a young man and I read this passage, I used to think that for somebody to be uh, made well in their late 40s or in their 40s, I used to think, God, that's old. My perspective has changed. (laughs) Let me make it clear. My perspective has changed. Now remember, this book is written by a doctor. Because those with uh, greater powers and authority of investigation than I say that this book is written by the gospel, the, the writer of the Gospel of Luke as well. So if that's Luke, this is Luke. The style confirms that. So why does he record, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old? Is that just a statement of fact? Or is that humor? God, flipping heck, this guy was over 40! Or is it what? It's interesting, isn't it? Because... There's a little bit of a warning in this because those of us who communicate by written documentation, just be warned because it's open to misinterpretation. What does Luke mean by that statement? Was it a remarkable healing, all the more remarkable because of his age? Or was it a typical detail at the end of a consultation, this bloke's in his 40s? What was it? I don't know. I'll leave you to decide on that. And so we now come to this passage this week now. And so at verse 23, we have the heading, The Believer's Prayer. Now I just want to ask you at this stage, um, in your day-to-day reading of the Word, I wonder how many of you use electronic devices to receive the Word of God for daily reading. Just signal your hand. I'm not going to ask you any serious que- I'm not going to ask you any question. Does anybody here receive, yes, there's one, two, three, a hey, the age in which we live, it's spreading, it's contagious. Um, I tend to use the scripture union word live, excellent, well, I'd be really grateful if you would stop listening, because at this point I'm cribbing their notes, no, 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 not at all, not at all. Back on June the 8th, when I started to look at this passage, please, I'm not that organized, I was actually going away, so I thought I really needed to get my head around it, so I was ready. This very passage was that morning. So there I was, somewhat floundering, thinking, crumbs, what am I going to get out of this passage? Spare a thought for me, you've just had it read to you. What is there to be got out of it, first reading? And yet, therefore, within a half an hour or so, I'm looking at my daily notes, and it's this very passage. Let me just read you the comments that are made. A rare thing happened recently, says the writer, after the passage. My MacBook Pro, he said, for those of you who don't know, that's a computer, suffered a bout of corruption, he says. After diagnosing the symptoms, archiving my hard drive, and reinstalling the operation system, it was successfully restored to default settings and all was well again. Well, the day I read that, I could so relate. Look, I'm not being conceited here. I have a MacBook Pro too. So, you know, I'm an Apple man. There are a few of us, aren't there? Are you an Apple man? Oh, right. You wish you were. OK, beg your pardon. Um, and my hard drive had suddenly been corrupted and I needed to be restored. And there I was going, do you know, this is for me. This is so for me. This passage this morning, these notes. And now I look back and think this guy's fortunate because my computer then went and died and I've had to replace the darn thing. The point this guy is making here in his notes what is our default setting when push comes to shove? When we're thoroughly up against it, and he's using the analogy here of his computer, you go back to a reset, etc., etc. But let's now talk about life. What do we do when we are truly up against it? You know, he goes on to say here that you know, Peter and John, with their freedom, they decided to go off shopping. Oh, sorry, wrong passage. And he goes on to be frivolous about what they might have done. But what did they do? And in verse 23, we know immediately what they did. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Let's just have a look at that immediately. So they went back to what is in effect their community or their sending church. One of the things that we feel very, very strongly about in Gloucester City Mission is that anybody who comes to work within the organization must be endorsed by their fellowship. They must be in a community, they must have leaders, and they must be endorsed by those leaders so that we know something of their standing. Can I say that in this situation, Peter and John have returned to their fold because they felt, I believe, very much that it was important to be back in the security of their own. So it says on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. It just brings, I believe, into some focus some of the thinking behind the need for a sending church or an endorsing home church type thinking. So the value of the support that you bring as a fellowship to those who are overseas, those who right now need to know that you are meeting and indeed incorporating prayers for them, privately and corporately, it brings that sort of twin effect into into focus the people, and these two guys that were in the front line. Because today, of course, we're looking at the boldness facing opposition. And the danger is that we look indeed just at Peter and John and the front line and their boldness, when in fact we're going to look now just very quickly at the boldness of those who were in their support, those back at their church base, if you like. So we find in verse 24a, they raise their voices together. There's a sense of one voice, unity in the whole assembly and the feeling that that brings. This was a united fellowship. (coughs) Or put another way, there were no differences that divided them. I think there's a word of caution immediately here. There is no perfect church this side of heaven. If I'm involved with one, it's flawed immediately. But I think it's worth reminding ourselves of the need for unity. With one voice together, it says. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. And then they started what is recognized as a very, very famous prayer in the Bible. It's reckoned to be a very good prayer to look at. So how did they pray? The people recognized the nature of the frontline work that Peter and John were involved in and they were prompted to pray with immediate urgency. They didn't, have a, they didn't call a business meeting with an agenda. They didn't discuss increased funds to mobilize more troops to work with them. They prayed. But how did they pray? Verse 24b, they start, Sovereign Lord. Can I just challenge us all to remind ourselves of the awesomeness of our God? As evangelicals, I think sometimes, please allow me to say this, sometimes we're almost pally with our Heavenly Father. Our relationship is such that it's restored. We've been reminded this morning and our relationship is such that we have a relationship with a Heavenly Father who is close and understands us and knows us. But it's really, really important to remember that our God is an awesome God. And so they start with sovereign, totally in charge, whatever you want to call it, sovereign Lord. They address God in the true Way that he should be addressed. Then continuing they praise God as creator of all things. So they recognize his title. Then they recognize what he's done. And it's as though to endorse God's standing. We recognize that you're awesome. And we know it because we believe and we know that you are the great creator God. The point they're making here I believe is this. That if you're the great creator God, you even made these jumped up local people in the Sanhedrin. And therefore you can have control over them because you are the awesome, total creating God. And so their prayer is very much, we recognize the authority that you've got. And even especially in able to control these people who are against Peter and John at this time. So in effect, the assembly of Peter and John's friends was stating God's credentials and worshipping him in total reverence. Then in verses 25 and 26, we have this. They start to use scripture. I attended a prayer meeting a while ago, mentioning no names, no, no venue, doesn't matter. But the prayer meeting was very much an evening spent. Of bringing prayers of requests, can we pray for this? Can we pray for that? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And whilst on the face of it, I have no problem with that, when you read a passage like this, you realise that sometimes maybe we cut to the bottom line a little bit too quickly. How respectful are we of what God has done and who He is? And how fearful are we of him when we pray Heavenly Father in that intimate relationship. And so they're talking here now of of, of an excerpt which if you look at your notes at the bottom of your Bible you'll find it taken from Psalm 2. Now in those times, and this is what they're bringing in now, so they're drawing on history, so they have title, they have God's credentials in the sense of we know what you've done... And now they're bringing in scripture from the Old Testament. And at that time in Psalm 2, what Psalm 2 is recording is this. That when God anoints a king, the local rulers are meant, this was the tradition, are meant to come and support and pledge support to the king. And so often, so many of them didn't. It created unrest. The landowners and the local rulers, etc., wouldn't recognize this new king. And what it then goes on to say is God has raised Jesus to life and we are all witnesses. Sorry, beg your pardon, wrong page again. And it says here, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? And they're going back in Psalm 2 here referring to even then this is what people did. And the rulers uh, gather together against the Lord and his anointed one. So there's this Old Testament reference. And then immediately they switch to the current or the relatively current. Because then they say indeed Herod, Pilate and the people of the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Even they conspired against you. And yet your will was done. And this is the point that's being made here. Can can you see the structure of the way they're praying? The, The seriousness, the weight of it all, the reality that Peter and John have just returned from being in front of the authorities. They've been in prison. Now, urgency, together, they raise one voice and they recognize, as I've outlined. And even those that sought to do away with Jesus didn't have their way. And this is where they're coming from, if you like. It's their backdrop, then to their requests. And so we have before us a summary of what they brought. But only then, having recognized who God was and coming up with that outline as I've described, then and only then do they bring their prayers of request. And the prayers of request are these. In 29a, Now, Lord, consider their threats. Just have a look, verse 29a. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In other words, you've done it before. You've done it many times. Incidentally, it's worth looking at verse 28. When I said that Pilate and Herod and those that crucified Jesus were were not successful, it's interesting to note, and they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Happen. Easy to overlook that. We think of the evilness of man in taking Jesus and crucifying him. But this was part of God's total plan. So if you need assurance this morning to know that God is in control, be reminded he is totally in control. And so what we have here is now three parts to the requests that they bring. Now, Lord, consider their threats. This is the threats of of the authorities. Enable your servants to speak your words with great boldness. In other words, to continue doing what they're doing. 29b, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In other words, please, can nothing stand in the way of what they're continuing to do. And then lastly, in verse 30, we have, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It's a marvelous pattern of a prayer, the way this is built. And if I say anything more, it will be to repeat what I hope, uh, the point I've made. What conclusion can we draw from this for us today, this morning? Well, when I think of boldness and speaking the message, speaking the gospel, I have to say at times I find myself incredibly lacking. My boldness is spelt at best with a small b and it's weak. But let's remind ourselves of what the message is that we and they are encouraged to be bold about. What What was that verse? Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which, if you think about it, we'd like you to be saved. No, we must be saved. Can I be bold this morning and say to anybody here who doesn't understand what that means, would you please stop where you're at? If Peter and John could bring a message through the the word this morning, it would be this you need to recognize God. And you need to recognize through what His Son has done and what we've remembered here in the bread and the wine, what He has done once and for all to prove how much He loves us and values us. And there is a need for a response to the boldness of that message. Not bold because I have a loud voice, but bold because it's true. It is the truth. And to those of us who have accepted this message and have known the Lord Jesus for a long time, can I just challenge me and you about how bold we are? I've not been taken into the nick. I have not been before the bench and had to give account of what it is I'm doing. Maybe it's because I haven't been doing it. But all I would say to each one of us is there is a need particularly for us in these times to speak boldly of what we know to be the truth. The fellowship were bold in their prayer. Peter and John were bold in their activity. We sometimes sing the song, don't we, Bold I Approach the Eternal Throne. Nice and easy to sing. But when we do, do we recognize the awesomeness of our God? And yet the intimacy of the relationship he wants with us through his son. Ours is a wonderful privilege, but equally it is a phenomenal responsibility that we have to make our Lord Jesus known. May we each, as we go into the week, be found to be bolder than maybe would otherwise we otherwise would have been. Thank you.